This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, Credit Suisse financial troubles echo through stock markets worldwide. Find out what caused the bank's shares to tumble and what's being done to help. A showdown in Texas as pro-life groups and doctors lock horns with the FDA. A judge mulls their appeal to ban the sale of an abortion pill. More flooding and mudslides in California after a storm hit the state earlier this week. Thousands were evacuated and over 100,000 were left without power. A Chinese billionaire critical of the CCP was arrested in New York yesterday. Guo Wengui is accused of cheating investors in an alleged $1 billion fraud scheme. And did ancient master painters have a leg up on contemporary artists? A California couple has a secret that could help level the playing field. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, March 16th, and we're starting off with some updates from the financial sector. Stock markets worldwide are getting slammed over concerns of a possible banking crisis. Stocks and bond yields have tumbled on both sides of the Atlantic on worries that recent bank failures could spread and how badly the economy could be hit. Now banking regulators in Switzerland are taking action. Swiss bank Credit Suisse shares dropped as much as 30% yesterday. Shares closed the day down about 14%. The bank announced today it would borrow up to $54 billion from the Swiss Central Bank. That news helped slow heavy selling in Asian markets this morning. And it also sent Credit Suisse shares up close to 26%. But trade remains volatile and sentiment is fragile. Here's more on the bank situation. Swiss investment bank Credit Suisse is navigating financial trouble. Its biggest shareholder, Saudi National Bank, says it can't increase its stake in Credit Suisse anymore due to regulations. This prompted investors to sell. Credit Suisse shares lost more than a quarter of their value at one point on Wednesday, hitting a record low. Started with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, over the weekend, and then the signature bank failure. And Credit Suisse has experienced some of the same challenges that those banks have in terms of deposit withdrawals. You had $110 billion of Swiss francs leave Credit Suisse in the, in the fourth quarter. Financial analyst Robert Kiyosaki, who predicted the collapse of Lehman Brothers back in 2008, made the following prediction on Fox News this Monday. The problem is the bond market. And my prediction, you know, I called uh, Lehman Brothers years ago. And uh, I think the next bank to go is Credit Suisse because the bond market is crashing. The trouble of Credit Suisse is fanning new fears about the health of financial institutions. A financial expert says a potential collapse of Credit Suisse would be more devastating than the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the U.S. Its um, balance sheet is about two and a half times as big as SVB. Uh, it's about half a trillion um, you, uh, Swiss franc, which is not that far from half a trillion um, uh, dollars. Um, so it's bigger, but the but the more important difference is that Credit Suisse has a lot of links to um, the financial sectors of other countries. Switzerland's central bank announced late Wednesday that it was prepared to act, saying it would provide liquidity to Credit Suisse if needed. 
Swiss banking regulators said that Credit Suisse meets the higher capital and liquidity requirements applicable to systemically important banks. The regulators also added, quote, there are no indications of a direct risk of contagion for Swiss institutions due to the current turmoil in the U.S. banking market. A battle is playing out in Amarillo, Texas, over nationwide access to abortion pills. A judge is considering a request by pro-life groups to ban the sale of miprifistone. And today's Daniel Monaghan has a story. As a group of protesters stood outside, a U.S. district judge on Wednesday questioned lawyers for the Biden administration. The focus was whether regulatory approval given over 20 years ago to the drug mifepristone was proper. Pro-life groups are challenging the FDA's approval. They want a preliminary order halting sales of the drug nationwide while their lawsuit proceeds. The case, titled the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus the FDA, was filed by four medical associations and four doctors. Dr. Ingrid Scope reacts to the proceedings. It appears that the process has been politicized since the beginning. When it was approved in the year 2000, the FDA broke several of its own rules in order to approve it. Pro-life groups assert that the FDA inappropriately approved the drug through an accelerated process and did not adequately consider the drug's safety when used by girls under the age of 18. One of the main arguments made by the FDA was that revoking approval of the drug would cause significant public harm, that it would result in overburdening surgical abortion clinics in the U.S. A Justice Department lawyer also said that revoking approval might undercut faith in the FDA's expertise and judgment. Amarillo resident Julie Sims was impressed by the hearing. Both sides were well prepared and the judge truly appreciated that. Uh, very respectful court hearings. It was very interesting to hear both sides. A ruling against the FDA would hinder abortion access in every state, as medication abortion accounts for more than half of all U.S. abortions. Abortion access supporter Yanda Raker feels discouraged about the current political climate. And so now we've come to abortions have been legal since 73, and now they're not. They're not in Texas, they're not in many of the states. She called on the women of America to rally. The judge said he would rule as soon as possible. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Thousands remain under evacuation orders in California after Tuesday's storm brought mudslides and more flooding to the state on Wednesday. Tens of thousands of homes and businesses were left without power. And today's Costa Menes has the details. Tuesday's storm was the 11th atmospheric river in California this season, dumping more torrential rain on the state through Wednesday. In San Clemente, a beachfront community between Los Angeles and San Diego, Bluffdoor properties were evacuated due to landslides. The concern that we have right now is that there's still more earth that is slopping off right now as we speak. And so right now we're working with Orange County Sheriff's Department staff from the city of San Clemente. We also have a geologist on scene and we're trying to figure out what's the extent of this problem and what's the next step here. Residents were evacuated after a landslide left three apartment structures at risk of collapse including one where a backyard swimming pool was left dangling over the precipice. And then when it went, it took the whole, the entire backyard, and then it took part of the neighbor's uh, retaining wall, the corner of the retaining wall, went with it. And then I live right, right here on the corner, and I was basically right there drinking coffee, uh, and I heard it and felt it kind of shook a little bit, the building. And it basically took the whole, 
the whole backyard out with it when it broke. And it's still kind of settling right now. Still pieces of it kind of falling. Officials say over 20,000 people in the flood zone remained under evacuation orders or warnings. According to Power Outage US, nearly 170,000 properties remained without power across the state as of Wednesday. Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency in 43 of California's 58 counties. Emergency shelters were put up. We do has, have, as I speak, 31 shelters that are operating in 14 uh, counties in the state of California. California was hit by nine atmospheric rivers in rapid succession from late December through mid-January, causing widespread flooding, levee failures, mudslides and punishing surf. At least 20 people perished. But this is not likely the end of the extreme weather. A 12th atmospheric river is expected to hit the state next week. Cost MNS, NTD News. California is the leading agriculture producer in the U.S. and many of the state's key growing areas are flooded, delaying harvesting of essential crops. If supplies tighten and distributors turn to other regions to make up for shortages, that could lead to higher costs nationwide. Agriculture officials say it's too early to fully assess the damage, but are working to reduce the long-term impact. And in New York, prosecutors arrested exiled Chinese businessman Guo Wengui yesterday. He is accused of orchestrating a scheme to defraud more than a billion dollars from his online followers. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on his arrest. Guo Wengui, also known as Miles Guo, faces an 11-count indictment charging him with wire fraud, securities fraud, bank fraud, and money laundering. The Justice Department says about $634 million in illicit funds were seized from Guo's 21 different bank accounts between September 2022 and March 2023. The DOJ stated that it seeks to forfeit the funds. They believe the money is from his alleged fraud. Prosecutors say Guo used the funds to enrich himself and his family. Some of his assets include a 50,000-square-foot mansion worth around $26 million, a $3.5 million Ferrari, and a $37 million luxury yacht. The Ferrari has also been seized. Authorities say Guo and his longtime financial advisor, King Mingzhe, cheated thousands of followers since 2018 by promising investment returns. They are being accused of diverting much of that money. The 52-year-old Chinese billionaire fled to the United States in 2015 and bought a penthouse apartment at a hotel overlooking Central Park. Court filings state he gained a substantial online following as a vocal critic of the Chinese Communist Party in about 2017 and exploited his fame to solicit investments. Guo was arrested Wednesday morning in an FBI raid on his apartment. He pleaded not guilty in Manhattan federal court and is being held without bail. Zhe lives in London and faces the same 11 criminal counts, plus an obstruction charge. He is at large. A fire broke out in Guo's apartment following the raid. An FBI spokesperson confirmed agents were still inside Guo's apartment when the fire started, about six hours after Guo was arrested. The agents evacuated and reported the fire to police. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Honduras is cutting ties with Taiwan and seeking official relations with China. The Honduran president announced the decision on Tuesday. Honduras's foreign minister said the decision is driven by pragmatism, not ideology. He cited rising debt and investment needs. The country owes Taiwan around $600 million. The finance ministry says total external debt for Honduras st stood around $8 billion in the third quarter of 2022. 
The move comes ahead of a visit by Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen to the U.S. and Central America. If Honduras does end relations with Taiwan, it will leave the island with only 13 diplomatic allies. Here's what an analyst said about the switch. For China, the interest is purely political. It is to take away another ally from Taiwan and confront the United States, and that is what's happening. We are part of the pieces of an international chess game, but we don't understand it. We think we are big players if we establish relations with China. China is using us. Taiwan has accused China of luring its allies with pledges of massive loans. Taiwan's foreign ministry is urging the Honduran government to consider its decision carefully. They warned them not to fall into China's trap. The U.S. State Department also has a warning for Honduras. A State Department spokesperson said yesterday the Honduran government should be aware that China makes many unfulfilled promises. And coming up, a dramatic rescue caught on video. A three-year-old baby trapped in a car submerged underwater. And intermittent fasting is a diet trend on the rise. But are there risks along with the benefits? And how can we do it in a healthy way? More on this after the break. Welcome back. A three-year-old baby trapped in a car seat in a submerged car. The Miami-Dade Police Department released dramatic video of a rescue that happened last month. The call went out. It was a child in danger, and that is what all cops fear. This one was different because um, as a father, when you hear a child's underwater in a vehicle and their parent can't get him out, First emotion that clicks in your head is go. When I got there, I realized that um, the car was fully submerged and the right thing in there. Um, I knew that I had to take action. And when they said your blood started to boil, I felt that. Given the fact that we couldn't see through the water, we had to, somebody had to make the choice to get in and I just acted, it wasn't even a thought. Is it a We don't know. No, they have a they have a they have a cutter there. I couldn't see through the water, so I had to come back up a couple of times and uh, just basically use touch to figure out what was what inside the vehicle. Um, eventually, I felt the baby seat, the car seat, and I I pulled it as hard as I could because I couldn't figure out where the seatbelt was or anything of that nature. Luckily, it broke off, and the child was able to pop up to the top of the car. So I snatched him out and handed him off as soon as I could. I felt great. But when the baby started crying, I started crying too, because it was the best cry I've ever heard in my life. And that's when I knew that my guys did some great work after that. It was, it was just, the team effort was just amazing. And we saw the baby crying, we saw him screaming, and we realized, all right, that's what we were called to do. Right there, that's the reason why we do what we do. That was a few tens moments, but we're moving out now, on now to health and diet. Intermittent fasting is a trend on the rise, but are there risks along with the benefits, and how can we do it in a healthy way? I spoke to Dr. Jason Fung, a nephrologist and co-founder of The Fasting Method. Here's an outtake from the full version that you can find on NTD.com. 
So a lot of people find that when they start fasting, their uh, hunger actually starts to decrease. And that's a little bit uh, counterintuitive sometimes, but um, a lot of hunger is uh, learned behavior. That is, if you expect to eat all the time, then you're going to be hungry all the time. If you're only expecting to eat um, several meals a day, then you're not going to be hungry at the other times because you're simply not expecting it. So that's a huge benefit when it comes to uh, weight loss. Um, also, for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, for example, where people have very high blood sugars, uh, if you don't eat, then that's simply a way for your body to start using up some of that sugar that's in the body. And that's uh, you know, a way to naturally bring down those blood sugars. It's also been, been linked to increased longevity, but also a number of other uh, things like increased uh, energy, increased uh, concentration, um, that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a number of benefits of uh, intermittent fasting. Sort of gotten out of that uh, balance over the last 10 or 20 years. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a really interesting point. And so what is the schedule that you would most recommend for beginners or just most recommend, period? One of the uh, easiest things to do is uh, cut out the snacks and just go to sort of three meals a day. In fact, in the 60s and 70s, that's the way most of the world ate. Uh, there's no need to be eating snacks throughout the day in between the meals or, uh, you know, after you ate dinner. That was it. You're supposed to fast from dinner until breakfast the next day. Um, and that's uh, basically going to be a you know, 12 to 14 hour fasting period, for example. So if you finish dinner at, say, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, uh, you don't eat breakfast until 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning. That's sort of between 12 and 14 hours of fasting. And this is supposed to be happening every single day without you even having to think about it. Um, this has sort of disappeared. If you look at data from the United States, this sort of normal, uh, you know, 10 to 12 hours of feeding and 12 to 14 hours of fasting has largely gone away and the average uh, person eats sort of up to, you know, 15, 14 to 16 hours a day instead, therefore shrinking that fasting period. Mm. And I actually know people who resort to a 72-hour fast or I've heard about 24 hours dry fasting. And for me, um, it sounds like a very long period of time, you know, so is that any or would you re still recommend that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's two different things. So dry fasting is where you don't eat, but you also don't drink any fluids. So there's sort of two things that are happening. One is that you're fasting, which is you're not eating, but you're also getting dehydrated in that you're um, not taking any fluids. So that, of course, is uh, something that has to be limited in duration because you can't simply stop drinking for long periods of time. Um, so some people do it on a religious uh, basis, for example, is, is more common. Uh, but dry fasting, some people like it, some people don't. But make sure you keep it limited to generally less than 24 hours is my recommendation. Uh, going longer than that, 72 hours fasting where you are allowed fluids and just not eating um, can be done. Uh, again, it all depends on your situation as to whether it's healthy or not. But just remember that uh, the body carries uh, a lot of food energy. Um, so, for example, one pound of fat is 3,500 calories roughly. So people who are overweight and trying to lose energy, they'll often have 100,000, 200,000 uh, excess calories sitting in their storage system of body fat. 
So if you don't eat and you require 2,000 calories, well, if you have 200,000 in storage, well, that can be done safely. And certainly if people want to do it, they certainly can. So uh, there's no medical contraindication to it. It can be healthy in certain instances. Generally, we stick to shorter, more frequent fasts because therefore the risk is less of running into complications. Mm. Very interesting also to put it into numbers. So thank you so much, Dr. Jason Fong. I appreciate it. Thank you. Next, is there something beyond talent and technique that makes great paintings great? A California couple revives a lost element of the craft coming up after the break. Welcome back. What makes an old masterpiece great? No doubt it's the artist's creativity and technique, but there is something else. A California couple discovered the secret and has been passing it along to artists to achieve their artistic visions. Let's take a look. When George O'Hanlon began painting icons or religious images more than two decades ago, he had difficulty finding suitable paints. O'Hanlon's wife, Tatiana, says he was not alone. The commercial paint industry offers artists only a few options for paints. The last, uh, what is it, 90, 80 years where the varnish is one for everybody. It's two mediums where you paint and, uh, and then people struggle. They struggle through the whole their career. Not only are there few paint options, but the artworks using commercial paints don't last. We are going to museums all over the world, and so we see then, like, okay, 16th, 17th century, we, it's preserved quite well, we can see it, but 20th century really fitting apart. So the couple started a quest for the ideal paints and found a lost art, the tradition of paint making in Europe. Artists used to make their paints before commercial paint production took off in the late 19th century. Artists in prior centuries have always made their own paints. They, uh, they would buy or acquire pigments and all of the raw materials, and then they would, they would then make the paint in the studio. The traditional paint-making process required artists to learn about the paint's raw ingredients and characteristics. The knowledge would help artists customize paints for the desired effects a critical element of making masterpieces with longevity. If you use the analogy of a chef, the chef today doesn't go out and buy, goes to the supermarket shelves and pick the stocks and sauces for uh, their creation. They buy the, the raw ingredients, the spices, the, the oils, the, all the different uh, ingredients in there, and they assemble or they, they prepare a dish exactly how they want it. The couple understood that artists have different approaches and needs. So in 2003, they created their company, Natural Pigments, in California. The company customizes paints for artists worldwide using traditional materials and methods. It gives artists a different, a different set of tools. In other words, uh, if you look at most commercial paint, they tend to behave quite similarly because of the additives in the paint. Our paint doesn't behave in that fashion. They'll find so it's a different experience. The couple also teaches artists the icon painting tradition and materials used in painting at their nonprofit organization, Iconophile. They hope the best practices will help artists achieve their artistic visions and preserve masterpieces 
for future generations. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. He really does make a good point when he draws that parallel to cooking. You know, Evelyn, I make my own paneer cheese to go in my rice pilaf. It's pretty good. <laughs> ah, yeah, I mean, it really, there's something so satisfying about this, I have to say, and it piqued my interest a little bit. So, yeah, interesting, interesting package. But, yeah, cool you know, story. Yeah, hopefully it will preserve the art of our time for many years to come as well. Ah, yes. Yes. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You, you can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com as usual, so write us if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.